So let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats and we will, we will get started. Y'all are a lively bunch today. Seeing some faces we haven't seen in a while because of summer camps and vacations and things like that. So it's good to see people back here. We mentioned Stephen uh, Ermerger a couple weeks ago. Well, Lydia's here today. They were like a part of the core team. It was, it's good to see you guys here for a wedding. The river people coming back in. Yeah. All right. So welcome. If you're new, this is Redstone Church Elizabeth. So before we um, jump in this morning, Sam mentioned August training. Everybody have the church center app? Good. By the way, you know, you mentioned Mark Sierra. He had surgery at Duke on Tuesday. They cut him open. They pulled this big mass and he just decides to come back to church today. Right. How crazy is that? This is the way former Navy SEALs roll. It's like, ah, whatever. Just a little pain. No big deal. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you're here. Okay. Church Center app. Um, everything about announcements, training, and all these things are on there. But, but I wanted to spend a little bit of time and talk about this training that we're doing August the 27th to the 28th. So there's this passage in Ephesians 4, and it says that we are to equip the saints for the works of ministry. It's something that we take very, very, very seriously. You know, we're trying to do everything we can to like pour into people and then allow them to be able to go out and serve. And we want to do more of that. So this is our first attempt at, oh, here's some opportunities for training. Okay. So let me just mention these. You've got um, addictions and the church, which has been an ongoing conversation that we've been having. So Andy is leading that. You've got a witnessing to the LGBTQ community. This is Kyler. Kyler is actually leading that. Uh, the Kimballs, are they still in Maine? I don't know if they're still there or not. Anyway, so Larry Kimball is doing uh, the regen, the regeneration mentor training, which often confronts addictions, which is why we're recommending that you take the addictions and the mentor training, not at the same time, but just take both of those. Uh, discipleship for men, uh, Joshua Hubbard. We've got, um, where is it? Discipleship for women, uh, Rachel Adams, uh, Cameron, Back in the back, Cameron is doing, it says that it's, um, where is it? It's volunteer training, but it's really the theology of service. Okay, so Cameron is leading that. Jen Tierney is doing an um, uh, overall of missions. And then Sally is doing a deconstruction and progressive Christianity. Sally, right. Okay, so there's a lot of offerings that are there. It is probably we bit off more than we could chew because I don't know that we'll have all these full and we don't intend to. But if you have two or three people in each one of these, the training is going to be really good. You know, so it's the 27th and the 28th. You, know, you can pick and choose. But if you hear one of those and you're like, yeah, I think I'd like to go learn a little bit more about that. These people are putting a lot of time and energy into it. And we just encourage you. You can actually do it like right now. Go into church center, hit the little thing on the bottom. I think it says like signups. If you click on that then you'll be able to go and look at some of the offerings and just, yes, I'm going. And it's as easy as that, but we need people to uh, sign up for that. Okay. Any questions about August training? Okay. So second Peter, uh, we're getting ready to jump in. Last week we did an overview. I'll do a, a quick refresher and we're going to spend um, some time in the first few verses, but let me pray first. Father, we, um, as is often the case, we show up on a Sunday morning and we've got things rattling around in our minds. It's been a busy week. Uh, there's been pain this week. There's been surgeries, there's been heartache, um, there's been wrecks, there's been just things that have happened within our body that I'm, I'm aware of. And Lord, we all have that. And we all have uh, things that we need to do today and things that we need to do next week. And Lord, I just pray that all of these things that can cloud our minds and our hearts, that you would just remove them, help us to hear your holy word. Lord, we are opening up your word. You have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and through your holy word. It is inspired. Lord, it is breathed out by you, and you have given this as the main tool for sanctification, for growing us up, and for revealing more about yourself. So Lord, help us to hear it this morning. Lord, and I say this every week, I speak a lot of words, 
And Lord, I pray that things that are confusing or things that are just of me and the flesh, that they would just quickly be just gone. They would fall to the ground and be forgotten. But the things that we need to hear that are from your word, oh God, that they would stick with us and they would forever and ever change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you will, get your Bibles, get your apps, get your journals, and let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And as a quick review, as was stated last week, Peter wrote this letter um, a few years before his death. He knew that his time was short. The passage that I showed you is right here. It's 2 Peter 1.14. And he says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So he's coming to the end. He's kingdom focused and he's wanting to protect the church and he's wanting to remind the church. We also said last week, if you look at first Peter, remember it was to console. You know, there was a lot of persecutions that were taking place, you know, throughout the church and, and, and the persecutions were taking place outside through unbelievers. And sometimes it was like an unbelieving spouse or it was an unbelieving boss or what have you. So he was trying to say persecutions and sufferings are going to come. Here's what you need to know about the gospel. You need to be rooted in the gospel. And here's how you can persevere through these things supernaturally. But second Peter is written to warn because now that these churches have, have been established and he helped establish some of these and Paul did some of the others, now he's seeing this division and this confusion is taking place within the church from people like me that are actually teaching and it's bringing apathy, it's bringing confusion and they have forgotten the truths of the gospel. And Peter says, my time is short and I need to warn the church of these things that I see. If the enemy's tactics don't work by attacking from the outside, he will surely come and attack from the inside. And that's what he's doing. Deception. He was coercing believers. There was a spirit of apathy that had permeated the church. And it was causing them to forget the truths of the gospels, of the, of the gospel. So we gave this outline that we're going to be walking through. And here it is again. It was, don't forget, don't stop growing, don't be deceived, and don't doubt his soon return. Okay, so there's our outline. There was more that was said, but that's a, a quick overview. This morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And we will spend 95% of our time in verses 1 through 2. And then we'll jump in 3 and 4 next week. So with all that by way of introduction... Let's look at 1 Peter 1, uh, 2 Peter, I wrote 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. Okay, you ready? Here's the word of God. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers or become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, a few highlights, reminders about this Peter that we're looking at. This is Peter. He was the fisherman. He was one of the 12 that was chosen to be a disciple. He was a part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They would go with the Lord to places that the other disciples weren't allowed to go. He told the Lord that he would die for him, and he was sharply rebuked for that. Multiple times we see Peter just opening up his mouth just a little bit too quickly. Peter, who showed the Lord that he would fight for him, he defended the Lord by cutting off a Roman soldier's ear. But just a few hours later, he turns around and he denies the Lord three times, even cursing and swearing that he doesn't even know Jesus. Peter, who later, after Jesus had rose and ascended into heaven, and after he, Peter, had preached and thousands of people had come to faith, a few years later, Paul has to confront him and rebuke him openly for his hypocrisy before the Gentiles. His actions did not coincide 
with the gospel message that the Jews and the Gentiles are now one. They are now united. Yes, his sins and mess-ups were front and center for all of us to see, but he undoubtedly witnessed amazing things and experienced amazing supernatural things as well. He saw the Lord fully transfigured in his glory, and he even walked on water. I thought about that, and I've shared this story before, but five years ago, we were at the Isle of Palms on vacation, and my father-in-law, who has passed away now, and Cammie and I, we were walking down the beach, and I kept looking out, and I was like, that's a shark. And they were like, no, it's not. I said, that's a shark. I, I, I see a shark. So we kept on getting closer, and I got out into the water, and I was telling people, I was like, hey, I think I see a shark. And so people were like, oh, okay, they were backing out of the water. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this hammerhead shark, it wasn't, it wasn't huge, right? It was probably about this big. And... <laughs> It, um, it kind of comes like toward me and turns around. And I just reached down into the water and I grabbed a hold of it and it went boom, and it pulled me in. And I was like, whoa. And I was like standing there and my father-in-law was like, what are you doing? And my response, it was quick. I said, have you ever grabbed a hammerhead shark? He said, no. I said, I have, right? And I picture Peter doing the same thing. They're like, Peter, what are you doing? You're, you're drowning. And he's like, have you ever walked on water? No, I have, right? So even though he's failed and he's done these stupid things, right? He also saw, got to see the Lord transfigured and he got to walk on water. This is Peter, a true follower of Jesus Christ who lived a life that included supernatural things that he could tell stories about and things that he would rather not talk about and never speak of again. Peter, whose life was filled with faith, whose life was filled with mistakes, a life of ups and downs, with true mountaintop and deep valley experiences, a life that contained more than a handful of absolute and complete, even public, embarrassments. You see, Peter, this Peter that wrote this letter, he was a lot like us. He was very human. <clears throat> Last Sunday evening, Cammie and I were riding around. We were here in Carter County, and we began talking about our biggest regrets. It was, um, it was an emotional conversation, and there was these emotions that surfaced and, surfaced, and we were like, golly, here's like one of my regrets. And we just, it was, a, it was an authentic conversation, but it brought about like this guilt and this remorse that we had for things that we had done. And if we did not apply the gospel there, quickly, we would have walked out of that conversation with shame. But we didn't. We applied the gospel when we recognized that we're not who we were and we were forgiven. Who here today hasn't done things or said things that are things in your past that are completely embarrassing and destructively sinful? Is there any without sin amongst us? How many of us haven't at times been lacking in faith or made a commitment to the Lord and then turned around and did just the opposite? Or maybe even denied him by our actions and words? I would suggest that we've all done that at some point in time in our lives. And on that less than encouraging note, let's go back and look at verse number one again. Simeon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's how he begins this letter. Friends, the letter begins with words that we would typically just overlook, simple words of introduction, but let's not overlook them. Let's pay attention to them and let's learn from them. Peter is coming to the end of his life and I want us to see how he did and how he did not introduce himself in this letter. First, let me read author Kent Hughes says this. When I think of Peter, I imagine a broad-shouldered, loud, extroverted, assertive man who's always sweating. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> he was a headstrong, unbridled hulk who was always getting into trouble and causing his master plenty of the same. Clarence McCartney says, his impulsive deeds his frequent questions, his eager exclamations and confessions, 
his sometimes manly, sometimes cowardly acts, his oaths, his bitter tears, all this makes Peter the great companion and the great instructor of his fellow men. Did you catch that? That last part? All of this makes Peter the great companion and the great instructor of his fellow men. Why? Because Peter is us. That's terrible grammar, wherever Sam is. I'm sorry. Peter is us. We can relate to someone who has obvious flaws, who's experienced many failures. So take note of how he introduces himself, what he does say, and what he doesn't say. That showed up better on my computer than it is here, so I'll read it to you. This is who I am. I'm a servant of Jesus, and I'm an apostle of Jesus. He doesn't talk about his deception, the fact that he's denied the Christ, his hypocrisy, his lying, his failures, and we could go on and on and on. We were looking at this passage a few weeks ago at sermon prep, and as I read that, I just kind of got stuck there, and I started thinking about an epitaph, you know, a short description, you know, engraved on a a gravestone that reflects someone's life. With, With Peter, because of his growth in the gospel, he was able to get to the end of his life and see himself through gospel lenses. His epitaph, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. How about you and me? What might our epitaph read or how would your introduction into your letter begin? And the real question is, How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself through gospel lenses or through your accomplishments and failures? How about mine? It could easily be, and it could be a lot worse than this. Jerry Wayne Williams, that's my middle name. A man with wavering faith, often prideful, sometimes brash and argumentative with a history of unbelievable and often incomprehensible sins. That could be my epitaph. Or Jerry Wayne Williams. Actually, let's take the Wayne out. Let's just say Jerry Williams, redeemed, forgiven, changed, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Unless I apply the gospel and believe the gospel, it would be the former and not the latter. Unfortunately, sometimes our identity is tied to who we were, what mistakes that we've made, the embarrassments that other people remember about us, especially in this age that everybody's got their camera and they're videoing or recording everything that we say and do. Sometimes our identity is tied to our status or our position or our accomplishments or our degree or degrees or something else. In preparation for today's sermon, I found myself going and reading the epitaphs of famous people that have deceased. And it was interesting seeing that probably 90% of those, it was tied back to something that they did, something that they accomplished in their life. I remember, I don't know, three years ago, a former student came up to me and we were having a conversation and something came up about Providence Academy. I led the school for 23 years. And he was like, so how's Providence going? I'm like, I'm not actually there anymore. And his comment was, I quote this, he says, what do you mean you are no longer at Providence Academy? He says, you are Providence Academy. And I remember thinking, oh no, that's not good. I don't want my identity to be wrapped up into this thing that I run or these decisions that I've made or what we've been able to build. And it was a good thing to see that the Lord had removed that from me. But for many, many years, yeah, that was me. I am Providence Academy. And that's where Peter begins. He's beginning with what I'll call gospel identity. And it's something that we need to pay attention to even though it's only an introduction into this letter that, ha- that it just has lots that we need to hear and we will slowly work through, let's not miss his gospel-centered introduction, which leads to our truth number one. If you have this, if you have your worship guide, you can fill this in, which says, 
we each have a choice. We can see ourselves through our failures and sins. And I made a mistake here. There should be a third. It should say and or accomplishments. So if you are filling in notes, sometimes it's not just the bad things that we've done. It's our accomplishments as well. So we each have a choice. We can see ourselves through our failures, sins, and or accomplishments, or we can see ourselves as God does in Christ. Let's look at the rest of verse number one, because it shares how and why Peter can see himself differently as he gets to the end of his life. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's written to those who have obtained, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, a man who knew the fullness of guilt, the glory of grace, a man who reminds us that through the gospel, we can fall hard and yet still finish. We can wipe out terribly and still be restored we can have regrets, yet still know that we have been rescued from Christ. A man that, as Psalm 103, 4 says, whose life was redeemed from the pit. I just love that. But is now crowned with steadfast love and mercy. How many of us have not been redeemed from the pit. He's crowned us with steadfast love and mercy. It goes back to the gospel. How has he done so? It says it right here. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is beginning this letter as he did in 1 Peter and as Paul did in Ephesians 1. By reminding us of the gospel. For without the gospel, there is no hope. But because of the gospel, you and I, us failures that exist in this room that have done foolish things and performed incomprehensible sins, we are by the blood of Jesus declared to be righteous before God. Or as Second Corinthians, or yeah, Second Corinthians five twenty one says, for our sake He made Him. To be sin who knew no sin that in him, in Jesus, you and I might become the righteousness of God. The gospel. There's a God in heaven. He's perfect and holy and he's righteous. We've rebelled against him. There was what we call this obstacle of sin that separated us from him. The remedy for that was he sent his son to be our savior and he gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us. The propitiation, the atonement, the sacrifice that he paid was so powerful that it was able to cover all of our sins and he laid down his life for us. And I've said it 15 times in the past two years, and the glory of the gospel is not just the fact that our sins can be forgiven or that we have an eternity in heaven because of what he's done. It's the fact that we were broken and sinful, rebels in the pit, running from him, denying him, cursing and saying that we didn't even not, did not even know him. And he loved us anyway. And he has restored us and adopted us and reconciled us. And now we, broken people, can have fellowship with the creator of the universe. We can know God because of Christ. When he sees us, we are declared righteous. And Peter is beginning this book by saying, don't forget don't forget the glory and the eternal truths of the gospel. Don't forget that you are not who you were. Don't forget that those mistakes or sins or accomplishments, they don't define you. You are his. Your sins are forgiven. Your identity 
is in how he sees you. And according to 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are now in Christ. You are righteous. Simeon Peter, just a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he's able also to say something that we can't say. He says that he's an apostle. He's one of the Lord's chosen apostles. It was a unique and special calling. He could only serve in that capacity because he saw the Lord and he walked with the Lord. So he was one of the 12. And he's saying this in this letter because he's bringing authority to these things that I'm saying come as someone who's one of the Lord's chosen apostles. The word apostle just means special messenger. This is a side note. Okay, so you, you'll hear there's this new apostolic reformation and there's a guy in the Tri-Cities and he was, someone was like, hey, so how can I, you know, what do I call you? And he said, well, you can call me this, you can call me this, or you can just call me apostle. And I just cringe when I hear that. I'm like, no, you haven't walked with the Lord. You haven't seen the Lord. If you are of the office of the apostle, you must have walked with Christ. And there were only 12 of those. So don't let anybody suck you into or be reading or, or fall into the deceptions that we'll read about in this letter of thinking that there are apostles that are walking amongst us. We're all special messengers, but Peter is saying, I was one where I am one of the 12. It's kind of like the word deacon. The word deacon means to serve. And we have Cameron Yarberry, who is biblically qualified to be a deacon. It, deacon is a, it's, it's a, it's an office but we all need to serve, but it doesn't mean that we're all deacons. Does that make sense? So when you hear this word apostle, just understand it's talking about the office of an apostle, not just someone who is a special messenger. Okay, so Peter says, I'm an apostle. However, listen to what he says next. I love this. I'm one of the original 12 apostles. I was on the mountain. I got to see Jesus transfigured. I actually walked on water. But I am no better than you. Listen to the rest of it. Second Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm no more saved than you are. The righteousness that was passed on to me by Jesus, it's the same righteousness you non-apostles, it's the same righteousness that has been passed on to you as it was to the thief who hung beside of Jesus on the cross and to everyone else who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, no matter what their past is, you're at equal standing. We are all righteous before God. We are all saints and there are no super saints. So he's saying, I am Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been declared to be eternally righteous because of Jesus. And near the end of my life, I'm writing to, to you, to those who share this faith, who believe this gospel, and who are likewise declared to be eternally righteous. This is our introduction into this marvelous book, but it begins with our identity. And our identity being grounded in Christ. So when you hear that, these are some questions that came to me. Oops, I'm going the wrong way. Nope, I don't have them in here. That's okay. Let me just read these. Where does your identity lie? Forget the PowerPoint. Just listen. Where does your identity lie? Is it in your position? Is it in your health? Is it in your accomplishments, your education, or something else? Or is it tied directly to Christ? Where our identity lies dictates so much about how we think and we live on a daily basis. Do you see yourself as God sees you in Christ? Or do you not? That shame, those things that you have done, those embarrassing moments are those the things that you just can't escape from that have labeled you. And then lastly, do you see yourself as being inferior to other Christians? Maybe because of your failures, maybe because you don't know the word of God the way that some other people do or whatever. Do you see yourself as an inferior Christian? And it's just not true. These are all lies. They're lies of the enemy. We are one in Christ. He loves you. You're a saint if you believe 
that Jesus died for you and you've given your life to him, you're in equal standing with everyone that's here who is also a believer. And we need to be reminded of these truths, which is why he'll say in verses 12 and 13, therefore I intend, intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you may know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir up by way of reminder, because we are so prone to forget. It's so easy to go back and remember all of our failures. And it's so hard to see ourselves as righteous and holy and eternally loved and accepted by the Father. We're so prone to forget and let shame and guilt define us and the way that we walk instead of walking in gospel victory, gospel identity. Okay, let's continue. Verse number two, if I can find it. There we go. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, it sounds like just a cordial introduction, but it's so, so much more than that. It is Peter's prayer that they see their standing before God as being saved, forgiven, and righteous. Not looking at their identity of who they once were, but who they now are in Christ. And here he's saying that because of these truths afforded to them and to us through the gospel, that grace and peace would be multiplied to them. And I would suggest that grace and peace would be multiplied to us as well. I love that. I love that. But how are grace and peace to be multiplied? Well, I'm glad you asked. But to answer that, we have to go look at prepositions. And even though Sam, our English teaching elder, is not preaching today, he would be disappointed if I did not say this. For he would want to remind all of us that prepositions are critically important. A preposition is a word, almost always a very small, very common word that shows direction to, as in a letter to you, location, as in at the door, time, by, as in by noon, or that introduces an object of, as in a basket of apples. Prepositions are typically followed by an object, which can be a noun, a noun phrase, or a pronoun. Sorry, Sam, that's all I got. That's just borrowing from Webster or Wikipedia or somewhere. So I hope you're happy. But back to our passage. So how are grace and peace multiplied? Look at it. In, there's your preposition. It's in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In opens the door and points it all back to Christ. And if you go back to verse number one, you'll see that our standing before God comes by another preposition, by the righteousness of Christ. In the knowledge of God in Christ and by the righteousness of Christ. So the object of these prepositions, they're pointing us to whom? To God himself, to Christ, to his gospel. It's all about him. And even though we're only looking at verses one and two today, if we go ahead and look at verses one through four, look at the red, his Divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted his precious promises that we may participate in, even though it doesn't say he or his, it's his divine nature. His knowledge of him, his glory and excellence. He has granted his promises and even more prepositions through as a preposition as well. And all of that language takes us to this, this simple truth. It's such a simple truth that this is a stupid pastoral joke, but I'll share it anyway. And I've shared it before, but the kids were sitting in Sunday school and they were hearing kind of the same messages every week. And the teacher asked a question. He says, what's brown, fuzzy, climbs trees and stores nuts in the winter. And the one boy looks at the other boy and says, 
It sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I think that the answer is supposed to be Jesus. Okay, so that's the joke. Well, here's the truth. Truth number two, our position, success, ability, and standing are directly tied to Jesus. That's the answer. Directly tied to Jesus and nothing or no one else. It's all about him. John the Baptist said it best in John 3.30 where he says, he must increase and I must decrease. People, these are amazing truths. This is just introduction, but this gospel introduction is paramount. It's paramount before we're going to be able to receive these other instructions and warnings. We must begin with Jesus Christ being our very foundation. One more thing, I want you to see the various ways that Peter describes Christ in these two short introductory uh, verses. Okay, so if you go back, look at verses one and two, read this again, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, and then he goes on, he says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace through whom the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Our salvation is because of him. Our standing is because of him. Our power comes through him. Grace and peace come through him. And he is, four descriptors, he's God. Who is this Jesus? He is God. He's the creator of all. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's Savior. He's the perfect lamb that was slain to pay for our sins and to save us. His language and the way that the sentence is struck that makes it abundantly clear that he is both God and Savior. He's also the Christ, meaning the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He was the one that was going to come and rescue God's people and serve as their eternal king. He did it in a way that they did not expect, that he is the Messiah. He is the one they had been waiting on, the door the Lamb of God, the way, the truth, and the life. There would be no other Redeemer or Messiah. He alone is Messiah. He is Christ. And lastly, He is Lord, Lord over all. The one to which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. The master of the universe, Lord. In charge of all people, as Lord, all things and time itself, he alone is Lord. In these two short verses, we see Jesus as God, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And it is he and what he has done alone that provides our foundation moving forward. So we're spending a lot of time in the first two verses of 2 Peter 1, but we have to. We have to see the foundation of Christ and his gospel, and we have to be reminded that he is our foundation as well. For as 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Or as the old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's going to be a great study. It's going to be fun working through these passages and all of these prepositions with you. But it all points back to him. It all points back to what he has done in our identities, church. Going back to what we talked about at first. Our identities, the reminder that Peter's giving to the church is the same reminder that I'm giving to you and to me today. My identity must rest, not in my failures, not in my sins, not in my hypocrisy, not in my foolishness, none of those things, but in who Jesus is, what he has done for me and how he now sees me. I knew I had these questions somewhere. So here's these closing questions again. And this is in your worship guide. Where does your identity lie? Jesus follower, where does your identity truly, truly lie? 
wrestle with that. And if you find that your identity rests with your accomplishments or there's just guilt because of your failures, Peter's reminding us that it doesn't have to be the case. You're a saint. You're righteous before God if you believe the gospel. Do you see yourself as God sees you in Christ? Or do you not? Because if you don't, that's why you ride the roller coaster of emotion, spiritual emotion, day in and day out. Because sometimes guilt just seizes the day and wins your loyalty. We don't have to. Next week, we'll be reminded his divine power has given us what we need for this life and to live godly lives. It goes back to him. And then lastly, do you see yourself as inferior to other Christians or do you see yourself equal to them because of Christ? I'm going to read this one more time and then we're going to close in prayer. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And that is the prayer for us as we walk through this letter that grace and peace would be multiplied to us as we are reminded of the glory of the gospel. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and just spend a few minutes thinking about, praying about, being honest with the Lord just about your identity. Do you believe the gospel? Do you really know him or do you know of him and know of his gospel? I said it last week. Don't walk out of here if you don't know the Lord. Come to us. Come to someone. Go to a friend. Fill out a card. We can walk you through the gospel. We can introduce you to this Lord who will declare you forgiven, holy and righteous. But even for those of us who have walked with him for years... It is so easy to fall into the entrapments of the enemy and to forget where our identity, our identity should lie. So spend a few minutes. I'll be still and then we'll talk. Lord, you search our hearts and only you truly know us. Lord, you speak in a way that your children can hear you. And we pray that you would do so this morning. We are to encourage each other every day as long as it's called today. And I pray that we would walk out of here this morning reminded and encouraged. Lord, remind us of who we are in you. And Lord, show us if our identities are of paying allegiance to something else or someone else. May it only be you and your gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Gosh, it seems like it's been a while, at least to me, since we passed a mic because we've been doing some different things. But I don't even know. Sam, you have it? Okay. So we'll open it up. If anybody wants to share, this is a time of encouragement. This is a time, you know, even to share a conviction, um, to, to, to pinpoint or to share. Here's another verse that makes me, that I think of when I hear this. But this is a time for us as a church to hear from the body of Christ as well. So if you want to share this morning, just put your hand up in the air and Sam will put a mic. 
in your hands. Leah. As we were talking about how it's so easy to see our failures, but that's not how God sees us. One of the most powerful verses or sections in scripture to me that God continually brings back to my mind is Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, that you can stand before him without fault. Yeah. How in the world can I stand before God without fault? And yet that's how God sees me. And so when you were talking about that, this yeah. verse immediately came to mind that this is how God sees us and this is how we need to see ourselves. Yeah, Leanne, thank you so much. We were at Sermon Prep on Monday and that was the passage I went to. We got to the end and I was like, I just got to read this to you. And I just read it and I was just rejoicing. Same passage, same truth. It's glorious. Who's next? Identity. Gospel. Anyone else? Okay. This is our introduction to Second Peter. And we're going to go and, guys, if you can, go ahead and um, start passing out the elements. But we're going to go right into communion. And what a glorious, glorious ending to our service. To be reminded of what Christ has done. I'm going to start at the end. I'll go back and read the whole thing in a moment. But he says... For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Why are you doing it? He says it right before that, in remembrance, in remembrance of me and what I have done. We are to partake of the communion elements because they remind us of everything that I've said this morning. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, holy, righteous, a saint, absolved of all of your guilt, completely forgiven, once at enmity with God and now reconciled by Christ's physical body to present you wholly before him. We come into a time of communion and sometimes, and church hear me on this, sometimes we don't feel worthy to partake of communion because the mistakes the whatever, the things that cause guilt in your life, they drown out these truths. I would suggest this is the time to remember the gospel. If you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and he's just to cleanse you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness because the blood of Christ was enough. So I would say, take those things to the Lord and choose to, the, to believe the gospel instead. We all need to be reminded. So here's our passage. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. And here it is. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus gives his body. He is Christ. He is Lord, he is God, and he gives his body for us, for you. And if you believe that, receive that, and just know that he loves you and died for you. Lord, thank you for giving your body for us. May this not just be another time of us taking communion, but as we partake, as that morsel hits our tongue, Lord, may we be reminded that the God of the universe has sought us out and loves us and loved us 
at the cross and that we are completely forgiven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go ahead and partake. And then in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me and what I have done and where your identity now lies. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim that this same Lord that has left and ascended into heavens, he will come back for his bride. The blood of Christ, I say this every time we partake in communion, the blood of Christ was poured out to cover, to pay for all of our sins. If you believe that, if you haven't heard anything else that I've said, understand this. If you believe this gospel, all of your sins and your failures, your stupidity, your brokenness, your hypocrisy, it's forgiven. You're holy and you're righteous because of the blood of Christ. We have to remember that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the perfect sacrifice. Thank you that your penalty of you just dying and shedding your blood for us, it was sufficient and powerful enough to once and for all pay for all of our sins. Past, present, and future. Without the gospel, there is no hope, but because of the gospel, we can rejoice this morning. We are reminded this morning that we are in Christ and we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. After you drink, if you will, go ahead and stand. We are gonna stand and we are going to worship this risen King and Savior.